And due to a busyness that often leaves us simply chasing after to pull up the weeds, let alone do anything to really increase the backyard, we now have a lot of rock paths that surround a sandbox that once was a pond and another one that was turned into a fire pit for those occasional nights when we hang out. And after being gone last week, it really is all we can do just to keep up with the weeds. I tell you this, though, because... Jesus seemed to make a number of analogies. Analogies between the agricultural world and the world of our hearts, or the condition of our heart. And it's far more important, is the condition of our heart than our backyard. Now for those of you who are <laughs> truly Dutch, don't worry, I'm not that house in the neighborhood. Um, but I still leave a lot to learn in the area of agriculture, but I want us to really be attentive to this morning, not to the agriculture around us, not to the beauty of our yards, but to the beauty of our hearts. Jesus put a lot of emphasis. If you read the book of Matthew, here's just a few of the statements that he states about the heart. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Or for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or... For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says to the Pharisees, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Or, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And lastly, he says these words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now Jesus also seemed to see that there were parallels, as I said, between the spiritual world and the agricultural world, between the condition of our heart and the condition of the soil, per se, as we see in this parable. And if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 13. And I want to read this parable. I know for many of you this is familiar. It's, it's a commonly taught text. But I want us to take a look at it, and today I want us to evaluate the condition of our hearts as we look through this parable. Starting in verse 1, it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he who has an abundance or he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. 
For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell on the rocky place is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time when trouble or persecution come because of the word. He quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the ones who receive the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Today I want us to look at what each of us needs to pay attention or why each of us needs to pay great attention to the condition of our hearts because it has a profound impact on the fruit that we will bear not only as individuals but as a church. See, this morning I want to look at those four stories and share with you four stories that I've experienced in my life and then pay attention to our heart condition and the effects that it can have on the fruit that comes from our lives. See, in this parable that Jesus teaches here, he tells us that the seed is the gospel, it's the good news, it's the message of what Jesus has come to do in our lives and the freedom that he's come to give us and the bondage that he's come to break, the sin that he's come to overcome, the kingdom that he's ushered us into here on this earth today as well as in the future. That's the seed that he's talking about, but he says the issue is not with the seed, the issue's not with the gospel, the issue's with our heart. And so I want to look at those four soils or those four issues of our heart because the first soil that the seed falls upon or the first condition of the heart in this parable that we're cautioned to watch out for is the seed that falls along the path or the heart that's been trampled on or hardened and bears no fruit some of us here have hearts that have been trampled on or hardened by things and people in this world and we have to be careful that we do not allow those hurts to be opportunities for Satan to rob us of the fruit and the joy and the hope that we're to have in our lives. See, Matthew 13, 4, in the original telling of this parable, he says, And he, the sower, was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. He explains it in verse 19 by saying, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. See, from the best of our understanding at this time, there were really two ways that somebody would go out and spread seed in their fields. There was the first way that many of us may have done a little bit if we've patched up our lawn, where we take a sack of seed and we walk along on a garden stretch and we broadcast it out by hand, just spreading it out. 
And as we do that, we recognize that some of it falls, hits the ground, bounces up, or maybe we're not the best aim that we used to be when we played basketball, and some of that seed gets thrown right away onto the path, a path that's been trampled. The other way that they would spread seed at that time was to, what one commentator called the lazy man's way, was to take a sack of seed and throw it over the donkey and cut a small hole in each side and then walk the donkey along seed falling off as the donkey would bounce and and it would get scattered out in the field but some of it would fall too along the path of these long narrow fields that they would have at this time or some of it might fall into the holes that the donkey had made stepping and pressing into the tilled dirt and therefore open and available prey for the birds but if Jesus is speaking about the condition of our heart If his emphasis is really on the heart, then what would it mean that our hearts are like soil that's been trampled on by foot? Or if he explains the parable saying that they don't understand the gospel or God's news of the kingdom, this good news, what is it that keeps many from understanding today in our world this good news? I want to propose to you this morning that it's a heart that has been hurt or broken or trampled on by the world and the things of this world, and more importantly, maybe the people of this world. Let me share with you a story. Her name is Sally. She first came to our church, the Northern Lighthouse, on a bet. She was invited to come to our RIP program, which is the reintegration program that we offer on Monday night for prisoners. She She lived at the time at the prison. She came out experienced it, wasn't quite sure because Sam was talking about Jesus and she didn't really know what to think of this Jesus. But she enjoyed herself, so she decided to come back a couple more times. Her roommate had been actively involved in our church, so her roommate said, I want you to come to church. She said, no way. She says, you don't understand. I'm a lesbian. There's no way if I step into the church that I won't be scorned and shamed and uh, and just, I don't want to go through that. There's no way I want to deal with this. Her roommate said, no, they they say they're a place of acceptance and direction. So I'll tell you what, I'll make you a bet. You come to church, and if you feel scorned or shamed, I will make your bed and do your laundry for the next week. And if you don't, you do mine. Well, that was worth it to her. She came. She never stopped coming. She came every week. She loved it. She was accepted. She was a part of our community. We were just getting to know her. She was filled with joy. She was one of the most expressive, enjoyable people to have around. And one day she walks up to me after a service, and she says, Jeff, I'd like you to come and and meet with me. And I said, you know, I'm not usually the guy who does it. Sam, really, he's the chaplain to the program at the prison. Why don't you talk with him? And she said, no, I really want to talk with you. And I said, okay. So I, I went. I met her in the prison in the the cafeteria there, and we started talking, and we were just conversing, kind of chit-chat, when all of a sudden we got talking about kids. And she had this excitement in her about kids. I said, do you have any? And she says, no. And then her excitement turned, and she started to cry. And she says, you don't understand, I can't have kids. She said, at the age of five, I was abused by a man in such a way that I'm never going to be able to have children. We got talking some more, and sharing some more of her story, and finally I said to her, I said, so just tell me, what's your understanding of God today? How do you understand God to be? And she says, you know what, I'm really starting to understand. I really, I really do want to know him, but I, I've got two problems. She said, my first problem is, where was God when I was five? And that man did that to me. 
She said, the second problem is I recognize that today I have a major sin issue in my life. And I can't overcome that. It led into a number of ongoing conversations, to say the least. She continued to come. But did you catch what she said? Her holdup to the gospel was not the gospel. It was because of what somebody else had done to her. It was because somebody else living out their sin had hurt her so bad that her heart was trampled. In fact, she divulged to me that I was the first man that she'd ever honestly spoken to and opened up her life to. Because her heart was scarred and trampled by somebody's deviant sin. I used to think, I grew up CRC, I, I used to think, you know, I, I understand TULIP, and, and I thought, oh, total depravity, I get it, it's all about my sin, I'm tainted with sin in every way, I understand that, I got no problem with that, I agree with that. But you know, it's dealing with people like Sally that I've begun to realize that it's not just a personal issue. That when I sin, it has huge effects on the lives of people around me. And that all of us, if we're really honest, have probably been hurt and broken and trampled on. See, I don't know your heart today. I don't know where you've been hurt, but maybe you've been hurt by a parent. Maybe you've been hurt by a spouse. Maybe it's a coworker, or Maybe it's that honorary group of junior high students that you're still hanging on to. Maybe it's the church that hurt you. But here's my concern. Is that if we don't learn to deal with that bitterness, listen to a few of these passages that talk about what happens when we hold on to our bitterness. Peter states to Simon in Acts 8.23, For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Paul states in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Or the author of Hebrew writes, Look after each other, so that none of you falls or fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupt you. See, Sally today got out of prison and no longer comes to the Northern Lighthouse. She no longer comes to church. I'll still occasionally have contact with her, but she's not that same joyous, boisterous person, and I believe it comes back to the fact that she hasn't been able to overcome the hurt that's been done in her life. She can't understand the gospel because she can't understand why she was hurt so bad. See, I, I love what I hear, and, and I just feel I need to say this this morning. I love what I hear about going on here in Living Water. I'm excited about what God's doing in this church. But I also understand that some of you come here because you were hurt by the traditional church, or you were hurt by another church. And I watch a lot of people who deal with that. And if you're holding on to bitterness you've got to take time to cultivate that out. Because that bitterness is only hurting you. And it's hurting this church. 
doesn't mean you're not welcome or accepted here. I know that's not the case. But if you don't take time to deal with the bitterness, you're not going to bear the fruit, and you're not going to help this church be all that it can be in this place. And I see a great vision and a great idea of what God's doing here. And I want to encourage you that if you have that bitterness, maybe it's not from another church, maybe it's because of what a parent did to you. And you have every right maybe to be angry, but if you hang on to that, you're hurting yourself. So don't be afraid to cultivate out that bitterness that may be in you. But the parable is not just about the trampled heart. Jesus actually tells four different types of soil that the seed falls on. The next one is the seed that falls on the rocky soil or the heart that can't face the cost of following Jesus. See, verse 5 and 6 tell us that some seed fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Jesus explains this by saying, The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, he quickly falls away. Again, let's just jump back to Palestine for a minute. In Jesus telling this parable, people would have understood this because it was very common, or it still is very common, that there's a thin layer of limestone beneath a, a, a thin layer of dirt. And so when the farmer would go out and scatter his seed, it would quickly grab root, but it couldn't go down because of this limestone. There would be great moisture for it because the limestone would hold it there. Everything would be perfect for the growing conditions, but along would come the sun because it didn't have roots that could go down to the water source. It would wither out. But what's most fascinating about this parable to me is that Jesus uses the imagery of the sun to be the imagery of persecution. The reason I find that fascinating is because what do plants need to grow? Sun, water, soil. I do know a little bit about agriculture. Sun. The very thing they need to grow is the very thing that causes them to be withered. Now, hang on to that thought for a moment. And that when Jesus explains that the trouble or the persecution come in the second part of this parable, he says that it comes from a result of what? The word. Not the world. The word. See, I think this speaks in a unique and powerful way to our culture today. Because it's not the world's persecution that we need to worry about. It's the trouble that comes from trying to just follow Jesus. It's the trials that come when we're obedient to the call of Christ in our life. Tim Keller, one of my favorite speakers, states this. He says that when the call of Christ comes into your life, it will always make you uncomfortable, and it will only continue. But it is no less the call that we are to give all of our heart and mind and soul to follow. It is not that God does not love us, but that he is working in us to sanctify us. Let me tell you another story. Joe came to the Northern Lighthouse through the mission. At the time, we had a number of people who were working at the mission from our church, and there were bridges being built, and they would bring people to church, and Joe was one of those individuals. Joe has a great gift to lead and to play music. As he came, he came to know Christ. He was baptized. 
It was a celebratory service with a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. He was the kind of guy who's, he still is the kind of guy who's very outspoken, always talking about what God was doing in his life, always going out when he would go play shows in the coffee shops or wherever he'd be playing. He was talking about Jesus, playing worship songs. He'd be talking about the church and bringing people in. And then one day he came to my office and he says, you know what, I want to be a worship leader. I said, great, but I've got one concern because I also just heard this week and I want you to tell me if this is true or not that you moved in with your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I said, there's some problems there that we've got to address. And so we began to talk about that and it led into a big journey. And today we still journey with Joe. He still is a part. In fact, he called me while I was sitting here a moment ago but he's not attending worship. He's not gathering with the community. He doesn't speak boisterously about what God's doing in his life or what the church is doing. He speaks negatively. He's no longer producing the fruit. He's no longer living into the full potential that he once had. And it's not because he was persecuted by the world out there. In fact, I think he liked it when the world antagonized him about following Jesus because he loved to get into discussions with people. But it was the call to follow Jesus that caused him so much struggle. It was the call to really give his life over and to let go of the things he desired and the ways of life that he wanted to live that really caused him the persecution or the trouble. One of my most loved and yet disturbing passages of Scripture is in Luke 14. It's when Jesus calls his followers to count the cost. These are his words. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Really. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there is that person who started that building but couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? Jesus gives you good odds, doesn't he? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Really? Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears should listen and understand. See, the question is here for us today. Have we counted the cost? See, are you really willing to put Jesus before your own family? Are you willing to put following Jesus above your own comforts, wishes, and desires? Are you willing to give up and lay down all that you have? For according to Jesus, unless you're willing to, you cannot be my disciples. Is God stirring something in you right now that he's calling you to do that's risky? Is there some part of his word that you haven't quite 
been willing to be obedient to? I'll be honest with you, I'm in the midst of a struggle with this. I mentioned I have four kids, six and under. There's a girl by the name of Michelle who attends Prairie Lane Church when she's home from the Ukraine. Otherwise, she's a missionary there working at an orphanage. She works with children who are 14 to, say, 18. And when they reach that age, at 18, they're left onto the streets. Children with no family, no support, nothing. The government drops them off. I don't know specifically all the statistics she could tell you. But over 70% of the guys end up in crime. Over 60% of the girls, I think, end up in prostitution just to survive. I usually haven't been much of somebody to talk about abortion. I mean, I agree with it, I support it, I encourage it, but it just never really has been something I've thought of. But I can't shake the idea that maybe God's calling us to adopt an older child. But you know what my, my struggle is? Do I really want to bring somebody in with issues into my family with my young children? Am I willing to take that kind of a risk? Am I trying to protect those things that I've grown to love? Or do I really want to, you know, I, I, when you minister to inmates, you're not the highest paid pastor. Let's just get that out there. So do I really want to risk that little extra cushion that we've been able to get to, to give it away to somebody else? What about that nest egg? What about retirement? What about all those things? I hope I'm willing to count the cost. Now, I haven't discerned, so careful how much you hold me accountable to this, yet if this is what God's calling my wife and I to do. But I'm just saying we face challenges each and every day to follow Jesus. Are we going to love that person who's unlovable? Are we going to take time out to care for our neighbor even though we don't necessarily like him? Are we going to be obedient to give when God's calling us to give to some mission project, to our church, to some place? What is God asking you? What is the Holy Spirit prompting you to give? Because I'll tell you, a lot of us have gotten really comfortable, including myself. We're so good at getting comfortable and not really being willing to count the cost to follow Jesus. So what's God stirring in your heart? Because I believe it's when we take those risks, it's when we're willing to step out that we see the fruit that God wants to produce in our lives and in our churches. That's why I'm excited about this church. Many of you have taken a risk. Many risks are being taken to go do new things and to live life differently than the way it's always been done. But don't forsake doing it in your own home. Two soils that we've looked at so far, the trampled on, the hurts and the brokenness that we haven't been able to overcome that have left our hearts hardened. And the rocky, that, that's shallow. That, that doesn't follow God into all areas of his call. There's a third, though. Those that fall on the thorny soil or the heart that gets caught up in the worries and the pleasures of this life. See, fear and enjoyment of the blessings of this life can choke out a heart from bearing the fruit of Christ. See, this parable tells us that there is seed that's grown up among the thorns. It's been scattered out, and the thorns come up with it, and it says that the thorns which grew up choked out the plants. Jesus again explains it, and he says, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. 
I tend to really like the New Living Translation when it says it this way. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. See, we have to remember that this is the day before herbicides and pesticides where we can simply go out and spray for the specific kind of weeds and it gets taken out and our crops grow up. It was at this time that if thorns grew up, that you would either have to go out there and try to pull them up, which would leave you getting thistles, or would make it really hard to even harvest, or would choke out your plant, as Jesus is referencing here. It would grow up because they grow up quicker. We all know that. Our weeds, that's one of my agricultural highlights. Weeds grow quicker than plants. Good. Um, I think this is important, though. I think it's important for us to understand because we get the idea that with the seed that falls along the path, the bird comes and just snatches it up. We get the idea that when it's grown on rocky, the sun comes and in a matter of a day or two, it's gone. But with this, what's different is it's the lure of wealth or it's kind of a slow choking. It's kind of a thing that you don't really notice the drift that's taking on in your life. It's the way that maybe we start clinging to security and comfort prior to clinging to Jesus without even recognizing. It's like I just mentioned, like we can become so easily engrossed in our comfort and creating this healthy little life that we don't recognize that we've gone adrift from following the call of God. We don't realize what he's maybe really calling us to because we're slowly being choked out. It's not a sudden yanking or pulling. We've all probably watched this happen. Don. Don was one of the first elders at the Northern Lighthouse. He was a great friend and a man that I love to this day very passionately. He was involved. He tithed. He always was engaged in serving. We could count on him for every event, and we could count on him being at every small group possible. He and his wife were passionate about what God was doing. They were there. They were established, stable Christians. They weren't inmates. They were people that we were going to invest in. It was great. Don had a little Honda Shadow 250. One day he traded that in for his Harley. I supported it. A few months later, his wife died. Sent him on a bit of a spiral. We were there. We walked with him. We were journeying through this process with him. Pretty quick, he traded in that Harley for a bigger, nicer one. Pretty quick, he wasn't attending all the leadership meetings or engaged in all the service. Soon after that, he said, Jeff, I just, I think I need to step down for being an elder. I didn't want to hear it. We tried walking through that, and finally he just quit showing up for meetings. Pretty quick, he quit showing up for church. You know, now when I hear about Don... It's typically that somebody says, I ran into Don. Oh, yeah, where? Oh, he was at the bar. It was a slow drift. Never saw it coming, never would have imagined it happening. He was the one who always said, I don't understand why all these inmates can come and then they get out of prison and they just fall away. Well, today I don't understand why Don could come, be a part of my life, be such a good friend and a passionate follower of Jesus and today having nothing to do with the church. He's gone astray. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking that buying a Harley is a bad thing. And in fact, if anybody feels convicted, let me know because I'll take yours off your hand. But I would be a much better pastor at the Northern Lighthouse on a Harley. Um, it's true. Um, but the reality is this. We live in a very blessed world. In fact, I was telling Ryan on the way up here, it's funny to me that I think I've heard that Sioux County is one of the wealthiest counties in all of Iowa. I've also heard another little Christian community known as Holland, Michigan, is the number one IRS charitable gifts contribution area. We've been blessed. We have been richly blessed just to be in America, but I think God has blessed some of our little Christian communities. And I'm not speaking bad about that. I'm speaking good about that. But if we're not careful, those same blessings that God has given to us can lead us and stir us away from producing the fruit, from producing what God's calling us to do, from being men and women who are engaging in the lives of the broken and the hurting because we want our comfort. He doesn't just talk about, about the lure of wealth like a, a fish that gets lured by a hook and snagged away. He also says that one of those things is worries. We worry a lot, don't we? We worry if we're going to make enough. We worry if our kids are going to turn out all right. We worry if things are going to happen the way we want them to happen. All those things can begin to take our eyes off of Jesus, and that needs to be a concern for our hearts here this morning. Don't get me wrong. To make money, to enjoy life and of themselves, they're not bad. In fact, to some level, we need all of that. It's just that unchecked, it has the potential to keep our lives from being what God wants us to be, fruit-producing Christ followers. And I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see no more Sally's, no more Joe's. I don't want to see no more Don's. I want to see people who are producing fruit. And that's what Jesus talks about, that there's another soil, there's another seed-bearing place, and that's where the seed falls on the good soil. It says in verse 23, But the one who receives the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. When the gospel comes into our lives and we're willing to guard our hearts from being trampled on and deal with the bitterness, when we're willing to follow Jesus no matter what the cost, and we're willing to take on the persecution that really does come for when we want to follow Jesus. And when we guard our hearts from being led astray by the very blessings that God has given to us, we will produce fruit. Fruit. Not just in that we'll produce multiple disciples. What he's talking about is fruit. Fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We can go on, can't we? That's what God wants in your life. He wants you to be a person who knows and experiences and blesses others with love. He wants you to be people who are filled with joy and radiate that to the world around you. He wants you to be people who are self-disciplined, people who are patient, people who are passionate. Those are the things that God wants for you, and he wants to give them to you, and he's warning us here in this parable that if we're not careful, our hearts can be led astray. And it doesn't just affect you. It affects this community. Shanda came to the Northern Lighthouse. 17 days off of meth, and she came because she was going to drive a bus. That's a scary proposition. But she came. She heard the gospel. 
her and I connected because I still like some of my 80s rock and roll music. Um, and she was a big fan. And so we would talk about all the good 80s hair bands. And she came to know Jesus. She's been traveling with us now for about five years. She's come over a lot of addiction. She's restored with her family. She's got her mother now living with her, and she's caring for her. She's a manager at Burger King. Her life is on track, and she's producing fruit. She witnesses to the people around her. She follows Jesus. See, her life is a life that's filled with fruit today because she's come into the life of Jesus. Our lives can be fruitful lives, but we've got to guard our heart. I know this last week, actually two weeks ago, I was on vacation. I went to the, uh, you know, I'm really not as Dutch CRC as I'm making it sound because I don't live in a community of that anymore, but we happened to go to the Christian Reform Conference Grounds in Michigan. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, you brave souls who raise your hands. It's a great place. Um, it really is. It's a lot of fun for our family and our kids and just a great way. And We get together with a lot of family. And what was interesting, we were there on a marriage enrichment week. And as we're there, we're interacting, and there's this teacher there. And what was so fascinating is we had all these family members there, and many of them who were there are involved in ministry at some level. And we walk away from the Sunday morning, and it, what got me was, all everybody was talking about and all I almost wanted to engage about was discussing the and evaluating not the message but the messenger. We were talking about how he spoke and what he could have done and how some weren't listening to him because of this and how this was happening and that. And we were evaluating him. I know that it's easy for some of you this morning to evaluate me and go, wow, glad we don't have him again or hey, we should invite him back. Hmm, that's up to you. But the point here this morning is not about me. The point here this morning is about you evaluating your heart. Evaluate the message. Evaluate your own life. Are you living with bitterness? Is there some resentment that you haven't let go of that is allowing Satan a foothold in your life this morning? Is, is there some call that God put on your life? Did you once have wild dreams about what you could do for God and you said, no, I'm not going to do those? because I want to live this American dream that maybe you need to go back to and begin to follow? Is there something, maybe it's not that big, maybe it's not that grandiose, maybe it's just simply you need to go say something to somebody to encourage somebody. Maybe you need to go help your neighbor who you know has been struggling. Maybe you need to give to some mission or some organization or something, or maybe you just need to start giving here to your body here as they fulfill the mission that God's called them to. It could be a variety of things. Maybe you need to get involved here. Maybe you've been thinking, like, ah, I got some singing gifts, but I don't know if I want to spend the time. Maybe that's God prompting you to spend the time. And maybe, maybe you've just slowly drifted. Maybe when you wake up in the morning, it's not about spending time with Jesus anymore. It's about getting to the office to chase the dollar. Maybe it's about getting to the sports page to figure out what your team's been doing rather than spending time figuring out what the real fight is about. The battle for lost souls. The battle to go out and love people in the name of Jesus. Maybe you've kind of gone adrift. Will you take time today to evaluate your heart? 
Because just imagine what it might look like. Imagine what it might look like if every one of us came in here this morning. If every one of us came here every week with hearts that are in healthy condition. Hearts that are loving. Hearts that are filled with joy. Hearts that have hope. Hearts that lived with self-discipline and perseverance. I don't know where you are today. I don't know your heart, and I can't. Maybe you relate to one of these. I just want to remind you that in John 15, Jesus says, He who abides in me will bear fruit. Some of you need to come, I know, for the first time and abide in Christ and experience that fruitful life of hope and joy and peace and love. And if that's you, then I want to encourage you to turn to somebody around you and we get done here or during the worship here in a moment and just say, I need to know about this. I want to learn more. Don't be afraid. Some of you need to get involved in maybe some community or get involved with some people who can help you deal with some of these other issues like bitterness or following Jesus and wholeheartedly. Some of you just need to be faithful to respond today. Respond to that prompting that God's been putting on your life. And maybe some of you just need to come as we prepare for worship and just worship, just realign your life with him through worship. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the things that you are doing in our hearts. I thank you that our hearts matter to you. It's not about the things that you've given to us. It's about the heart that you want to dwell in, that you want to do things through and in. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of the people here. I pray that this church would continue to be a place where the soil of people's hearts, the condition of the heart will be continually nurtured and evaluated, continually worked on. Lord, even through the hard processes so that we see the fruit in our lives of following you. And Lord, I pray for those this morning who maybe are wrestling, who've come here, as the motto says, they're thirsty. And may they find refreshment. May they find living water in you. Amen. We're going to continue in worship through music. And this is your time to respond and to evaluate. Just like every other, um, every other Sunday, um, we do this. This is your time to respond to what Christ has said to you through Jeff, through Jason, whoever's talking. Um, we pray that you would open your hearts. Jeff said a lot of stuff that can be hard. When he talked about worry, my stomach dropped. Um, and I'm like, that's, that's me. Um, a lot of silly things I worry about, but obviously I'm I'm not trusting him in those things. I know for you that um, Christ is speaking to you because that's what he does. So I pray that today, right now, um, that you would respond, that you would let the Holy Spirit rain down on us today as a body, that you begin this response journey um, this week and this month that if, if you're the one where the thorns are gathering around you or if you fell on the rocky soil or if your soil is just good 
that you would just let the spirit grow in you. So meet with him today. Meet to the meet him in the gospel message. And we know that he came down for us. Um, sent his son to die and took with that death sin and pain, anger, sadness, and he overcame all that stuff and rose from the grave. And that he came back to life that we might live with him. It's a good message. So please, as we sing, as you stand with us now, we pray that that good seed, that good gospel would just take root in your hearts.
for your hearts and let them speak to you.
this truth with us. stories. This is God's love story for you. There's a lot of stories that I have shared and we'd love to share more with you. I brought along with me today my friend Rob, who's a story himself of what God's been doing in his heart and his life. And Ryan, who's working hard to create more stories. And we'd love just to get to meet you, talk with you. We'll be in the back. And I'll be really honest, we're also looking for people to partner with us in creating stories. We're looking for people who will help support us through prayer and finances, and we've got information about that in the back as well. But overall, I'm excited to be a part of this story today. The story of living water that I've heard about, read about, and got to experience. So thank you for allowing me that privilege. Go with the power of God and live out his story in your life, bearing fruit out of a heart that's pure and right with him. Amen.